We are pleased this morning uh, to welcome Vince Bantu, who is uh, going to be preaching uh, while Pastor Leon is out. Um, again, uh, he's out on sabbatical this month, so we've had been blessed with a series of uh, guest preachers, and uh, Vince will be preaching to us this morning. Vince Bantu is the Ohene, or president of the Meacham School of Hayamanat, and is the assistant professor of church history and black church studies at Fuller Theological Seminary. Vince's assignment from the Lord is to proclaim that the Bizrat, or gospel, of Yeshua is for all nations, tribes, and tongues, and to do this by teaching on the earliest history of Christianity in Africa and Asia. Vince is the author of A Multitude of All Peoples, Gospel Hayamnat, and the Bizrat. Vince is also the Ohene of the Society of Gospel Hayamnat, an academic society of theological gospelism, Afro-rooted theology committed to the universal lordship of Jesus, biblical authority, and the liberation of the oppressed. Vince also serves as the Katabi of the publication of SGH, uh, the Hayamanat Journal. Vince, his wife Diana, and their daughters live in Minister in St. Louis, and they love to travel, watch movies, and bust some spades. We're so grateful to have you, Vince, here this morning with us and your daughters and your wife. Um, and forgive me if I mispronounced any of the words in there. Um, let me pray for us, uh, for us before uh, Vince preaches the word to us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, just again, we're so grateful that, that Vince is here this morning. Lord, ask that um, you would soften our hearts um, to hear your word this morning. Lord, that your spirit would be resting upon Vince as he speaks to us um, and shares uh, your word with us. Lord, Lord, remind us, uh, as the worship team did, of your great faithfulness to us, Lord, um, and your reckless love for us. Lord, um, just help us to... Uh, walk away from this time this morning, um, refreshed and renewed um, in our love for you and our understanding of your love for us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Vince, would like to invite you up. Amen. Well, good morning, Mac Avenue Community Church. It's a blessing and an honor to be with y'all in person for my first time. Amen. Amen. We can give the Lord hand praise to gather safely and physically. Uh, and for me, this is a huge honor because this is my first time being in the cut in real life. I've been with y'all virtually and from a distance, you know, and, uh, but this is a great honor because I've been knowing Pastor Leon and Rebecca. My wife and I have been knowing them for like, you know, over 15 years and we go way back. So I've been knowing them since when they first, God put it on their heart to plant this church. And so I've been knowing about Mac Avenue since it was, uh, since it was still in the womb. Uh, so it's good to see it full grown uh, and be here in person with y'all on today. And so, um, and I'm so glad and honored. Uh, I'm going to give, uh, give honor to God and also uh, Pastor Leon. Uh, it's a blessing to be able to come in and share God's word with him. Uh, and I, I fully support and say amen to him and his family not being here today and, and resting. Amen. Because that is so important. Uh, and so, uh, so it's a great pleasure to, uh, to be asked to come and share with you from God's word on today. Uh, and and kind of like uh, uh, my brother Elder was, was sharing a little bit uh, from my heart and my calling and assignment from the Lord, I wanted to share a little bit about that with you on today from the word of God as it's found in the first chapter of the gospel according to John. 
And so uh, in John chapter 1, if you have your swords, you can unsheathe them this morning, and, uh, and you can open to John chapter 1. And, uh, and the first verse of John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. The, uh, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father God, we thank you on today, Lord. We give you glory, honor, and praise, Lord. You are the Word made flesh among us. We thank you, Lord, that even in our sin and rebellion, Lord God, that you didn't leave us to our own devices, you didn't leave us lost, but you came and took on flesh so that you could restore us back to our original identity, which is made in your image and in worship and honor to you. So Lord, we thank you for this word. We sit under its authority, ask that you would speak and work and move in this place through your holy word in the gospel of John, and that we would leave this place transformed not the same way we came in, and that all of it would be to the glorious praise of our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the mighty Trinity's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again, Mac Abbott. It's good to be in here. I was, I, uh, again, this is my first time in the building, and uh, I came in, and I heard the beat, you know, just like the little prelude uh, kind of intro beat, and I just, I had to get it, you know, I had to get the beat, you know, I was, uh, I came in bobbing my head with it, you know, I had to rock with it a little bit, and, uh, and then I was just thinking, man, like, how good it is to be in a church where I can bob my head, you know what I'm saying, because uh, I look around this room, and I see God's kingdom uh, represented, you know, uh, diversity in culture is something that I, is very near and dear to my heart, uh, it's really one of the biggest things that the Lord has really called me to speak into and think about and pray and write about um, and, and, you know, just identity. And the, the, um, the, the, the idea or the concept that the Lord, the title of this sermon that the Lord put in my heart um, is that Jesus completes our culture. Uh, Jesus completes our culture. Again, I, I love cultural diversity. Uh, I always think about it, and it's something I think about a lot and notice and, and how people, different people do different things. Um, but one of the reasons why it's important to me uh, that I can come into a church like Mac Avenue and I, where, a place where I can bob my head is because I grew up bobbing my head. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, that's the kind of music that I grew up on. Uh, I, I, we, my wife and kids and I were driving through uh, on the way from the Stevenson's house over here this morning, and I, I knew I was in the right 
place when I saw Hood's Tires over here, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, uh, I'm in the right place. We have a, in St. Louis, we have a, a special brand of sauce called Hood Sauce, and and I'm from the hood. I'm, we in the hood. Uh, let's keep it real. And um, and you know, growing up in the hood, St. Louis is where I'm from, the West Side, and it's very similar. We were we were noticing as we drove over, uh, you know, just the the aesthetics of the community. And I was like, yeah, this looks a lot like home. If anybody ever been to St. Louis, North St. Louis, it look it's very similar. And that's where I came up. Um, but the but the interesting thing is the fact that you know when I was coming up you know like I said the the music I was bobbing my head to it wasn't really Jesus music uh, it wasn't really you know uh, honoring God and yet and yet it was how I identified it was what I identified with but when I would go to church it wasn't really bobbing head type music it was more like like swaying type music you know it's like I just saw kind of people doing this and just kind of swaying and you know like different things like that and I'm not joning I ain't, I ain't hating but you know there's there's swaying music uh, and then there's bobbing the head music, you know, and, and, and it's, my daddy always said it's different strokes for different folks and, and ain't nothing wrong with none of it. But again, I come from a bobbing type of type of culture, you know, uh, hood kind of culture. I wasn't used to the swaying, but I felt like in church I had to sway uh, and I, just had to, I saw everybody doing the swaying thing, you know, uh, and I was like, I don't really do that. But the thing was, is the only example of like Christian music that was introduced to me was the swaying type music. I never had, you know, Christian bobbing the head music. I wasn't introduced to that. So when the Lord called me to preach, and when I was 17 years old, I went through this thing. Some of y'all probably relate to it, where I just, I took all my head bobbing music, and I threw it in the trash, and I just got rid of it, because I was like, this stuff is heathen. It's of the devil, and I can't, I can't listen to that no more, and I got to listen to, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a, a preacher. I got to be serious about my, can't be having one foot in the world. I got to be serious about this, and so I was like, I'm going to listen to Christian music, you know, only Christian music, but again, because of my context, the only Christian music, the only music that I could be introduced to that was talking about Jesus was the swaying music, and so I had to listen to it swaying. And so, you know, I started listening to this, this music, and I was even playing it in my car, you know, putting the tapes, that was, that was back in the day, you know, putting my little tape in the, in the tape deck, and I'm rolling through, uh, you know, and you know, when you're driving around, especially in our kind of context, you know, music and what you're driving to is a big part of your identity, and it's a big part of engaging. You know, you, 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 you blast some head bopping music, and you roll your window down so everybody can hear. But I'm riding through St. Louis, and I'm putting on this contemporary Christian music and stuff, and, and I'm just, I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get with it, but I'm honestly not really liking it, but I'm feeling like this is, this is what a Christian listens to. This is what a good Christian does. Now, again, I'm not hating on that music, but again, I, I didn't really, it wasn't for me, but I felt like I had to assimilate. I felt like I had to adopt this whole other culture in order to be a good Christian. And Mac Avenue Community Church, what a blessing it was when I got introduced to Christian hip hop because I was not used to it, right? I, and, and actually even when I was before that, a lot of it was kind of bad to be honest with you. But it was around that time that actually you started to have good Christian hip hop that got introduced. And I, that was the first time that I had been introduced. Somebody handed me a CD from a group called The Cross Movement and I put it in and the lyrics were speaking gospel truth and yet like the beat was dope. And like, I could bob my head to it. And I was like, but it felt weird because I had never been able to bob my head to music that was holy. And so it felt like weird. I, like I could, the two couldn't go together because I had been discipled and used to a kind of mentality that like a certain way of being that the hood culture, the culture of the hood is wholly incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ and being a follower of Jesus because I had never seen folk from the hood that was actually following Jesus until this, until this CD landed in my lap. 
And it blew my mind and it opened me completely up to the idea, to the biblical reality that, again, Jesus does not negate our culture. Being a Christian does not negate our cultural identity. On the contrary, being a Christian fulfills our cultural identity. It is, it is the only true way to be truly who we are culturally, is to be a Christian. Because God took up residence with each and every one of us. And he takes on our language. And he takes on our mentality. He takes on our head bopping. All of those things find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel and God's plan of salvation was revealed through a people called the Hebrews. From Genesis to Revelation, God chooses to reveal his salvation plan through the Hebrew people. And God speaks through Hebrew customs, the law, the Torah, Shabbat. And he speaks through Hebrew concepts. Jesus came and he was the fulfillment of God's promise to make humanity right with God again. And he's called these Hebrew titles like the Mashiach and the, the, the son of man, the son of David, all of these Hebrew concepts. So it kind of makes sense that a lot of the first Christians, after Jesus ascended and said, go and, and make disciples of all nations, it kind of made sense that a lot of people thought, well, this is like a Hebrew religion. It's a he this, is, this is something for the Hebrews, right? And even a lot of the first Christians, the disciples, you know, all of them were Hebrews. Jesus was a Hebrew, so it would make sense to think that, oh, this is a new Hebrew thing. But the beautiful thing is that God had already promised in the Old Testament that it's too small a thing for the Hebrews to be my servants. Instead, I will make you a light to the nations so that my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. So God's plan was global from the beginning. God said to Abraham that through your seed, all nations will be blessed. So God always had it in his mind that salvation was for all people. But not only that, not only were people included in the covenant plan of God, but also they are accepted as they are. And that was a huge paradigm shift. Remember in Acts chapter 10, when Peter had a vision uh, and God was preparing him for the first Gentile believer named Cornelius. And God told Peter, kill and eat these so-called unclean foods. And Peter said, no, I'm not touching anything that's unclean. And God said, don't call unclean what I have made clean. And so not only are all nations, all cultures acceptable, made acceptable by faith and by the grace of Jesus Christ, but also we are accepted as we are. We don't have to assimilate. We don't have to, you know, if we're from, we're from a music swaying culture, we don't have to assimilate to a head bopping culture and vice versa, but we can be who we are. And that's exactly what happens here in the first chapter of John. As I said, much of the gospel was communicated through Hebrew mentalities, but this is one of the most famous examples in Scripture where the gospel message of Jesus Christ is communicated through Greek terms and Gentile terminology. In the very beginning, John says, in the beginning was the word. Now, the Greek word for word is the word logos. And so logos is a very pregnant word in the Greek language and Greek culture. Somebody say logos this morning. So logos is where we get all of our ology words from, you know, uh, whatever, you know, philology, anthropology, geology. It's usually the study of something. But logos, it means word, but it also means like talking, discourse, uh, where we get logic from. And it's a, it's a deep word, right? And so 
But here's the other thing, y'all, is that logos was actually a very deep concept in the Greek philosophical culture. There was a Greek philosopher from the fifth century named Heraclitus who talked about the logos as being like the, the spirit that comes from the one, right? They weren't Christians, but they believed in, in like a first cause of all existence, or they would call the monad, and the logos was seen as that, that force that was connected to the monad that, that animated people, that gave us the ability to talk and think and laugh and reason at a higher level than other animals did. That was what the Greek philosophers like Heraclitus and then later the Stoics called the logos. So this was not a Jewish concept. This was not a Hebrew concept. But Jewish people later adopted it like Philo did, but they didn't understand it the same way. So when John is saying that in the beginning was the Logos, now what John is doing is saying that he's talking to the Gentiles saying, y'all know that thing that y'all call the Logos? That thing that you say is that spirit force that through which the first cause of existence created all things and animates all things? That's Jesus. So y'all kind of understood it. You were, you were going in the right direction, and your culture finds its fulfillment in Jesus. That thing that your people talk about and have been talking about for hundreds of years, that's Jesus. He says the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. That he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. Now, now, now. He's saying logos in a different way. He's not communicated the exact same way that the, philosopher, the philosophers did. And that speaks to the fact that, let's be real, all of our cultures have sin in them, right? All of our cultures, because of sin, have gone off track. Everybody in here, whether you're black, white, you know, Asian, Hispanic, Native American, whatever, all of our cultures, whether you're from the hood, whether you're from the suburbs, whether you're from the countryside, all of our people can do some jacked up stuff, amen? Uh, and all of our cultures have gotten off track. And the Greek philosophy got off track because the idea of the logos wasn't a person. But he's trying to come in and say, that thing that you call logos, it's not just a force. It's not just a spirit. It's a person, named, and his name is Jesus. But he's using the terms that they were familiar with. And then in verse 14, he says, the logos became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He was Emmanuel. But again, that's the Hebrew way of saying it. He's saying that the logos took on flesh, that he is with us. God takes up residence in our hood and he uses our language. So yes, it's true that because many of our cultures are sinful and have sinful ways, that we need to, as Christians, walk away from our cultures and say, no, we don't, we don't rock like this. I'm a believer. I can't do this thing. Even if my people do it, I'm not doing it. But there's also another side of that coin where we also have to embrace our culture and love and celebrate our culture because, again, culture is something that God intended from the beginning. We live in a tense uh, time right now where there's a lot of racial climate, and sometimes we as Christians we think the answer is just to ignore race or ignore culture or get past it. And we focus on things like unity. Now, amen, I believe in unity. Don't get it twisted because Ephesians 2 says that we have been brought together and we need to be unified. But at the same time, I think that we have a misunderstanding of what the Bible says about culture that we sometimes even think that when we get to heaven, you know, we're, culture's not going to matter no more. We say things like it doesn't matter or color doesn't or culture doesn't matter. And I want to, I want to submit to y'all today, Mac Ab, that that's actually not what the Bible says. Now, don't, I know Paul says in Galatians 3 that there's no Jew or Gentile, but he also said there's no male or female. And do we actually believe that, like, we're not made men and women and that those things are different and that they're made to be different on purpose and that men and women are different and that even after we're saved, we're still a man, right? And we're still a woman, right? 
and both of those are made in the image of God. And they both equally reflect the image of God in unique and distinct ways. Men reflect the image of God in very unique ways. Women reflect the image of God in unique ways. What Paul was trying to say was that God doesn't value one over the other. But he's not trying to say there's no gender, there's no man or woman. In the same way, he's trying to say God doesn't love the Jew more than the Gentile. But Paul wasn't saying there's no more Jews, there's no more Gentiles. Because in Romans 10, he's saying, I love my people. I love the Jews. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. So our culture doesn't disappear. It doesn't go away. And we can't let our desire for unity make us water down the beauty of distinctiveness. But we have to honor unity and honor distinctiveness at the same time. And that's a beautiful tension that only Jesus can take us through. Because if we go too much to the unity side to a point of watering down our distinctives, what will happen, what will happen is one culture will end up winning and everybody will end up assimilating to whatever that one culture is. And a lot of times we don't even know we're doing it. Because human behavior is cultural by nature. All of us have a culture. We're going to act in a certain culture. And if we're not, be, if we're not acting in our culture, whatever that is, you're going to act in somebody else's. And so what we do is we dishonor the distinctiveness of the Lord. My family and I love to travel. We love going. To, I was just talking with Pastor Leon about we love traveling, going to national parks, all this kind of stuff. And some, it's amazing, even just in this country, how diverse the, the areas are. Like you go to like the desert, you see these beautiful sand dunes. Then you go to like, you know, the mountains in Colorado, you see these snow-capped mountains and they're beautiful. Then you go to like the bayou of Florida, Louisiana, and just, it's just amazing how diverse God's creation is. But I mean, what would it, wouldn't it be an insult to God's creation if you go to like beautiful desert and say, look at that, look at that beautiful, look at the beautiful desert, look at that sand, look at the red sky and everything. And you just say, well, I don't, I don't see deserts, I just see land. Uh, you know, all land matters. I don't, I don't, I don't see, I don't, I don't look at land. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't describe land by like a desert. It's just land to me. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then you go over to a, a beautiful mountain in Colorado. Look at that beautiful mountain. Or look at this, look at this uh, beautiful beach in Florida or California. You're like, I don't see beaches. I just see land. It's like you're dishonoring actually the beautiful diversity that God made in the first place. God didn't make diversity for us to ignore it. He made it. And he also didn't make it for us to be, uh, for it to be a cause of division. And he also didn't make it for, so that it could be a, a source of idolatry, but he made it so that we could celebrate and, and glory, glorify God through our cultures. The end goal is God's glory. Just like creation, the scripture talks about how creation shouts. And as we sang just now, that we join in creation by saying, great is thy faithfulness. And so all of these things give glory to God. And so again, we need to acknowledge our culture. Acknowledge whatever that culture may be, wherever we're from, the complex, nuanced, hybrid cultures that we all are a part of, we need to acknowledge and understand what those things are. Because all of us, all behavior is cultural. And if we try to think that our behavior is just normal, then that's actually a process of colonization and assimilation. But all of us have a specific cultural perspective. We need to understand and identify what that is. And then we need to reject the parts of that that are not in line with scripture as believers. And then we also need to celebrate and, and, and use and glorify God with the distinctives that God has made us with. And finally, we need to do those things in diverse community because it, you, you can learn so much about yourself and your own people by being around other people. Amen? I, I remember, I, I'll just use an example. And this is broad brushstrokes, I know, it's generalizations. Um, but, you know, generalizations are, you know, are true for a reason. And uh, that's a generalization right there. 
But, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I came from a hood culture. And in the hood, the hood is a little different than like a more, I guess we could say, a more middle class culture or a more upper middle class or educated or suburban or whatever you want to call it. But one thing, and people talk about different kinds of cultural values, right? You got direct cultures and indirect cultures and hierarchical cultures and, uh, and, and egalitarian cultures or, you know, shame cultures versus like, you know, honor cultures or, you know, all these different kinds of things. But one thing I've noticed is another thing that people talk a lot about is like time oriented versus event oriented. And what I mean by time-oriented is that if you're from a time-oriented culture and you say church starts at 10 o'clock, that means that, you know, you got to start at 10 o'clock. And if you if you preaching or showing up and you aren't leading worship and you show up at, like, even at 9.55, you're considered late in a time-oriented culture. But then you got event-oriented cultures, right, where when you say church starts at 10, that's more of a suggestion. Like, let's, let's aim for 10, something like that, right? But it might start at 10.15, might start at 10.30, pastor might come in at, you know, 10.23, worship leader might come in at 10.07, and it's all good. Nobody's tripping, right? Now, here's the thing. Neither one of those are, are necessarily right or wrong. You know, David Livermore has a book called Cultural Intelligence and talks about how a lot of people, a lot of cultures have ideas of both good, bad, and just different. Some things are good, some things are bad, but some things are just different. Some cultures take the shoes off in the house, some don't. Neither one of those is right or wrong. Now, there's some things that are just straight up right or wrong, but some things are just, just different. It's just different strokes for different folks. So time orientation and event orientation, neither one of those is inherently biblical. You can't, make, you can't make a biblical argument that time-oriented or event-oriented is like essentially a better way of Christian living. It's just different, different strokes, right? But here's the thing, though. We live in a culture where certain, we live in a world where certain cultures that are more powerful get to decide what's right or wrong than other people have to assimilate. So I grew up in, a, in the hood, which is a more event-oriented culture, right? So folk in the hood are not really big on like being very specific with making plans, especially like far out, like next week or next month or all that kind of stuff. And again, people from more middle class worlds are, you know, thrive on that. And there's a lot of helpful, efficient things about that, right? I remember when I first got introduced to this, I didn't have the language of calling it time and event oriented, but I remember I had a friend who was from the other side of town. I grew up in St. Louis, a very racially divided city. You know, it's like the north is like, north side is like pretty much poor and black. The south part of that is like pretty, it's not just white, but it's like rich. So I had a friend that lived on that side, and I remember we was at school one day, and I was like, man, let's play. Let's get together and like get together and play with our Ninja Turtles. We had just got, I had just got that new Krang. See, I'm dating myself, but I, I just got the new Krang toy. I had my, my Michelangelo, Leonardo, and Donatello, and, uh, and Raphael, and I had Splinter and Shredder, but then the new Krang toy came out, and that mug was big, and we were like, let's get together and play with the Krang toy, and I'm, everybody, all the kids looking at me like, what is you talking about? That ain't no TikTok, that ain't no Poppet, that ain't no, I don't know what you're talking about, but, but, um, but so I was talking to my friend, you know, uh, my, you know, my white Jewish friend who lived on the rich side of town, and I was like, and then I was like, man, let's come over and play today. And he was like, oh, I think I have, uh, you know, this recital today, and I have that tomorrow, and I have that. But maybe, maybe we could look at, like, next Thursday or something. I might be free. And I remember, like, feeling like, what? Like, what is you talking about next Thursday? Like, what, you know, why, why? I don't think about things that far in advance. Like, why, you know, just kick it right now, you know? But, but he was from a culture that was like, no, they had things planned out. So I remember my first reaction to that being, like, judging it, being like, that's stupid, that's, you know, that's, that's uppity folk, that's, that's bougie, whatever. I don't, you know, I don't do that. But then here's the thing. I came, when I was, uh, when I graduated high school, I had left my hood and went to a Christian college where I met my wife, and it was in a very, like, upper middle class, affluent kind of culture. And I had began to, you know, as a, I had started to realize I needed to learn different things about how to write papers, how to use a computer, how, in order to thrive. 
even succeed in college, which my high school did not prepare me for. And so, I'd be, so I started to like mix up like things I needed to do to do good in college with like other things that I didn't necessarily need to do. And so I went to the other extreme where I started feeling like I got to assimilate and I have to change who I am in order to succeed and thrive uh, in this time. And like I said, to be sure, there were some things about my culture growing up, uh, you know, that needed to change, like misogynistic ways of treating women or, you know, uh, celebrating violence and, you know, all that kind of stuff, that's needed to change. But I just kind of, you know, just associated everything, again, about my culture as like, it's bad and it needs to go, head bopping music, everything, even things that aren't necessarily bad. And so I started going to this other extreme where I was like, okay, I got to schedule everything and I got to be efficient. And I just began to live in a way where I organize and plan everything. Then I get out of seminary where my wife and I met Pastor Leon and Rebecca. We went to seminary together and I come back into my context and I've been trained in this suburban upper middle class way to do ministry in my community. And I've like, be, I notice how I've now become in some ways irrelevant to my own people that I had grown up with because I'm trying to relate to people and I'm always trying to plan everything. I'm like, well, let's plan this. And I don't know if any of y'all have experienced this, but I, I see where y'all are at. And so I know that I'm with my people, but it don't really work if you want to really make connections in this community to try to think you're going to plan everything. <laughs> I, don't know if that, I don't know if Mac Avis could experience this, but at Beloved Community Church in St. Louis, we've experienced that if you're thinking you're going to plan everything, it ain't going to work. And then I started noticing that my social circles and everybody that I was around were all, whatever color they were, they were all educated, middle-class people like me and that, that, thro that thrived on planning things, that were able to be like, oh, let's hang out next Saturday or let's do this meeting then and that. And, 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 and we were running so fast that we were running past the actual, you know, indigenous people of the community that I had come from. You know, even some of us that were from the hood, you know, had kind of come out of that. So I really had to get into a practice, and I'm still trying to find this balance where I had to live in a, in a bicultural kind of way. And so even now to this day, like, I'll be, I have, like, faculty meetings or I have, uh, you know, different things going on. I got to sit down and have writing time. Then I'll get a call from somebody that is like, hey, I need you to come bail me out, <laughs> you know, or, or it's like, hey, you know, so-and-so is in the hospital or, hey, so-and-so uh, just passed or, hey, like, you know, marital trouble, like, you know, we about to split up or whatever, the, or, it's, or it's just like just kicking it. Hey, let's get together and kick it. And, you know, I've, I've learned how to sometimes like be, multi, be bicultural and sometimes pencil things in as like tentative, you know, like we made a plan, we're going to get together and bust some spades, but then it doesn't happen. And I've had to like learn how to just be flexible. Somebody calls me, wants to talk for like 30 minutes, minutes and I just drop what I'm doing and I just try to you know take you know plan to make up that time at another kind of at a later time and that has really helped me to kind of get back to my roots um, but again it also really helped me to understand that again like again being like a time oriented or event oriented person but in my case my sense of like you know not making plans and not making things scheduled I had adopted this idea that there was something wrong with that that I had to change that just like I had adopted this idea that I can't listen to hip-hop you know and I can't bob my head right but it, this was the journey that God had continued to bring me back to of really of what the West Africans call Sankofa, like coming back, like go back and get it. And that's exactly, again, what the gospel does for us, that the gospel, yes, it, it in some ways takes us away from our people. But in another sense, it also fully completes our people. And so, you know, in a sense, um, to say to say that I'm a Christian is not in any way different or antithetical or like contrasting to the fact of being black and proud. So you, I can say that I'm black and proud. 
And, and in fact, the Bible even says, Song of Songs 1 and 5, I am black and beautiful, right? And so all of us can say whatever we are, white, Asian, Hispanic, whatever that we are, whatever that is, and proud. And that, in fact, the, the only way to truly fully be black is to be a Christian. Or the only way to fully be white and what, that, what all that God meant for that is to be a Christian. And the only way to Asian, Native American, Hispanic, the only way to fully be what those things are is to be a Christian. Because God is the one who made those things, and he made them intentionally. And again, race and culture is not just for right now. But when John looked up in Revelation 7, 9 and saw the heavenly multitude in eternity, he did not see a homogenous one culture, everybody swaying, everybody on time, everybody, you know, doing things the same way. But he saw black, white, Asian, Hispanic. He heard Japanese. He heard French. He heard every language. So our cultural and racial identities are a part of our eternal destiny. They are not merely a temporary earthly obstacle that we have to overcome. Now, yes, division, racism, white supremacy, and, and all these kind of things, these are defeated at the foot of the cross. And the, and the beloved community of Jesus Christ stands against these things. But that doesn't mean that we wash away who we are, but we stay who we are. And in fact, to the contrary, being a Christian means we go even deeper into our cultural identities because God is the one who made that identity. And so whether you're event-oriented or time-oriented or shame-oriented or honor-oriented or direct culture, indirect culture, whether you're, you know, whether you're from the hood, suburbs, whatever the case may be, that God completes those identities and that he makes his dwelling among us, just like God took the Greek concept of the logos and said, that thing in your culture, that's talking about me. That's I'm the one, I am the fulfillment of your culture. And so Jesus completes each and every one of our cultures so that we, as the renewed, sanctified, unified, beloved body of Christ, can be that body that Paul talks about where we are unified and yet distinct. Because think about it. You have to be different in order to be unified. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't be unified if you're, if you're, if you're the same. That's uniformity. And uniformity is not the same as unity. But God is unified. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. And yet they're all God. They're distinct, and they're one, three in one. And out of God's diverse unity, he created the human race, male and female, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. Creation all looks different, and all of it is meant to glorify God. And even though we got off track in sin and gender relationships became messed up and interracial relationships became messed up, thanks be to God that he became the logos, that he became the head-bopping, time-oriented uh, whatever he, he took on flesh, he made his dwelling amongst each and every one of us so that, our, so that we could be restored back to sonship with him, that he gave us the right to become children of God. And just as we are restored as individuals, our cultural identities are restored as well. So uh, yet an additional way that I submit to you today, Mac Avenue, of viewing what God does is that salvation, in one sense, is a restoration of our people. God restores and fulfills and completes our people, our tribal, linguistic, cultural identity. And that group has a place in the beloved community and in the heavenly multitude. And we can celebrate that right now because we're going to be doing it forever in glory, unified and distinct. Let's pray together. 
Father God, we thank you on today for your wonderful diversity, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you said to be fruitful and multiply and to fill and cultivate the earth. You had, you had a cultural mandate, Lord, for us to go out and to be different. And Lord, even though we've gotten off track and we don't know all the time how to, how to handle that difference, we try to ignore it or we try to use it as a means for dominating one another or dividing from one another. Lord God, we thank you that the answer is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that in the early church you brought Jew and Gentile together and you spoke both of their languages and you allowed them both to be as they are and yet be unified in community. And Lord, have mercy on us because we live in a very divided country, a very divided city right now. But we thank you, Lord God, that you gave us the blueprint in your holy word, that you gave us the recipe for how to show the world to be the living testimony of your reconciling work. So Lord God, would you show us, Lord, as a body, how to honor our own culture, to bring all that we are to the table, not to assimilate and not to dominate, but to celebrate ourselves and celebrate one another. And we thank you and we trust and we, and we commit, Lord, that all of it will be to only to the praise, honor, and glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom all praise and glory and honor are owed, and in whose name we pray this day. Amen and amen. God bless you.